we're entering into a season of tremendous opportunity, and I believe God wants to prepare our hearts for this. I was thinking about how much God has done in, in less than a year. It was June that some of us began conceptualizing a new church with a fresh vision for impacting people in the Worcester region. It was July that we first started gathering for worship as a launch team, laying the groundwork and the vision and the planning. And then in October, we opened up for worship services. Some of you here today joined us that very first week and have become an important part of us. Others have joined throughout the months that have uh, proceeded. All that to get to where we are right now got a location. We've got some stability here finally. It's time to go. It's time to reach out in a way that lives are transformed. And I know that you share that vision. So, what we're going to talk about today is what our plan is to make that happen as we come into the spring. As people come out of hibernation, how are we going to reach out and really begin to see the vision fulfilled? We're really just at the beginning, and we can't settle into something. As soon as we do that, we lose. So I want to tell you today what our plan is to grow, what our plan is to reach people with the love of Jesus. Are you ready for this? Today, I'm the man with the plan. I want you to turn and look at somebody next to you or near you. You're not doing it. Turn to somebody near you. I want you to say to that person, you're the plan, man. We are not going to program our way into seeing life's change for Jesus because that's not how God intended it. You and I, we're the plan. It's not about programs. It's about people. It's about people reaching people. So, I want to lay the conceptual groundwork for it today. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, and then over the next several weeks, we're going to look at people in the Gospels that brought others to Jesus and what we can learn from them and be encouraged. I think most of us who are Christians Love the idea of seeing a lot of other people around us come to Jesus. But the thought of being a part of that is very intimidating. I think the process is much more simple than we've made it. So I'm going to begin reading at verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds, and praise your Father in heaven. This is a a very familiar passage, but I want to lay it in its context. This is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' most famous teaching. Chances are he taught these same things in many locations. There's also a sermon on the plains that is very similar. This probably encompasses Jesus' primary message as he traveled and spoke. So I think these are some of the most common things that the followers of Jesus heard. This teaching of salt and light comes out of the most famous text on the Sermon of the Mount, and that is the Beatitudes. So, we're going to back up and begin reading at the first verse of chapter 13. Now, when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. 
Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, it's out of this teaching that Jesus then says, you, you are the salt of the earth. Who is the you? The same you that he says, blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the light of the world. If you see this story in context, what Jesus is saying is that being salt and light happens in the circumstances of life. The Beatitudes, to summarize, are essentially this. When we are on a journey with God, he blesses our life in all circumstances, the best and the worst of them. So as we come to this passage and Jesus turns to his followers and says, you, you who are blessed in all of life's circumstances, you're the salt of the earth. In other words, whatever it means to be salt and light, that happens in the context of life's circumstances. So outreach is something we are never going to do here at the church. That's a program. It's an initiative. We're just going to flip the word and we're going to reach out because that's relational. God's concept of our being sought in light is not something that we do from an ivory tower. It's something that we do as God interacts with the circumstances of our life and as people interact with us and see God at work. It's God using every situation in your life for blessing that allows you as people see that interaction of God in your life, to be salt and light. You see, it's not just an intellectual thing. Evangelism is not an expertise to be developed. It's not a skill that is just for those that have become trained to do it. Being salt and light is something for all of us to do in the context of the ebb and flow of our lives and how God works for good in all of life's circumstances. Vit and I have had the privilege, and I'll give my wife mostly the credit for this. Vit has a heart for connecting with people. It's not uncommon for Vit to say, I'm running to the store, and three hours later, I have no idea where she is, and she's connected with somebody. It takes like two minutes of Vit talking to people, and they're sharing their whole life story with her. I don't know how she does that. It's a gift set that my wife has. But we have had the blessing uh, as a couple to really work at being salt and light in our community. We've been blessed to see people as a result of that uh, come to faith in Christ. But it didn't begin with us sitting there and pronouncing a set of ideas. It started as a relationship, just a friendship. And at some point, the observation was, you know, there's something happening in your life that's different than ours. They watched us uh, almost lose Anna in a car accident several years ago. They, they watched us go through a time of crisis in the last uh, two years in terms of our future and trusting God. 
And they recognize that it's not that we somehow have a better life. It's that in all those circumstances, God is redeeming it, and they couldn't miss it. I'm not sharing that to somehow put us in a different place. I'm sharing that to say, to enfold people into your life and to let them see the living God. All of us can do that. And I think it brings this passage to light as we move forward now and explore these two metaphors, understanding salt and light. We've talked about the context. Let's talk about the culture in which Christ said these things. I want you to imagine a world without electricity, without light as we've come to know it. No street lights, no big highway bright lights. If you were outside of a village or a town and it was night, it was very dark. Many chose not to travel at night because of the dangers implicit in that darkness. This was the world to which Jesus said, you are the light of the world. I want you to picture a world without refrigeration, a world where you couldn't run to BJ's and buy your meat in bulk, cut it up into meal-sized chunks and put it in your sub-zero and keep it indefinitely until you brought it out and throw it on the barbecue, where the only way you could preserve your food was fermentation or drying or salt. And it was in that culture that Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. Salt is a change agent. Salt has three primary purposes. Salt, first of all, preserves. Secondly, salt purifies. And finally, salt flavors. Think about those three ideas when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. The gospel lived out through our life is a preserving agent. It moves life into an eternal state that lasts forever. We are to be that change agent in people's lives. Salt purifies. When I was a young teenager, we lived for three years on the Jersey Shore. My dad pastored a church three blocks from the ocean in Asbury Park, New Jersey. We spent most days in the summer swimming at Bradley Beach. Oh, I just love that. And during that period, I, like young David, King David, young David, was ruddy in complexion. I had acne. But when I swam all summer in that salt water, my face looked amazing. Even New Jersey ocean salt water has a purifying effect. Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth. You're called to preserve people for eternity. You're called to be a change agent in their lives so that they live a a purified life, so that they're healed. You bring healing into their life. You're the salt of the earth. And the third thing, the handful of salt in the stew or on the lamb kebabs. Oh, that's good stuff. That brings out the flavor in the food. Flavor to the world around us. Think about that. Who in your scope of influence who doesn't know Jesus says, man, they make my life interesting. My life's really got a different dimension because they're engaged in it. You see, all three of these things, these ways of bringing change into people's lives, here's how salt works. Salt only changes what it comes in contact with. A chemical reaction has to occur. Therefore, the salt has to be distributed, dispersed, and it has to come in contact. That's what Jesus called us to be, in contact with the world around us. 
One of the things that you learn as a pastor is that when a person comes to Christ, you will see more of that new Christian's acquaintances come to Christ in the early years than you will of a lot of other people that have been Christians for a long time. Why do you think that is? Sorry? The change is so obvious, it's like a living story that people are experiencing. Why else? They're excited, like the Samaritan woman. Come and see a man who told me everything about me. What's one of the things that changes significantly the longer you're a Christian? What's that? Yeah, your circles you're in. The longer you're a Christian, the more your closest friends are people like you. They're other Jesus people. There's nothing wrong with that. But there is a problem when we increasingly close out the other relationships around us. It's not who we're meant to be. Sometimes we can work so hard to protect ours and our kids and all those things for their sake that we forget that Jesus said all of us are the salt of the earth. We need to be out of the salt shaker. We need to teach our youngest up. Otherwise, we'll all just become spiritual survivalists. We're not called to be that. Now, I want to point out an interesting difference in these two ideas. First, he says, you're the salt of the earth. And then he says, you're the light of the, what's the second word? World. That's an interesting distinction, earth versus world. When you talk about earth, that carries with it in Scripture a connotation of the physical creation. So when we think about being salt, meeting needs, what we're really talking about are the core basic needs in people's lives. The world in the biblical context is the set of ideas in which we live life, the belief systems, the ideas that shape who we are. And so when Jesus comes and says, you are the light of the world, whereas salt is about interaction and change, light is about truth, it's about ideas, it's about beliefs, it's about soul and spirit and mind. We are to bring that light to the world. Let's, let's read it again, verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. What does light do? First, it guides, right? That's what the psalmist wrote when he said, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Picture that idea, especially in the darkness of the, of the world around them, half of the 24-hour cycle. Men would actually attach lamps somehow to their feet, literally. And then he says, a light to my path. That was about as good as the light you carried could give you, Right? Isn't that interesting? Because that's about how much I'm used to getting from God in terms of directions for the future. (laughs) Just enough to know the next few steps and then to stay on my knees, knowing that God knows the rest of the way. And his word gives us the light we need for each day. Well, where to be that to people? Light guides. The second thing light does is it exposes. It reveals. Sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes it's not a good thing. At least it's not a desirable thing. 
right? How many noticed uh, as soon as you got an HD television, uh, the news broadcasters that probably should never have gone to HD? <laughs> Whoa, <laughs> look at all that. They're real people. Well, that's what light does. It exposes what's there. And that's a loving thing when it's God's light. God's light is always a loving act, even if it's unwanted. It reveals who we are and guides, provides guidance out of that into the light that God calls us to. It reveals. Third thing that light does is it attracts. That's the idea that Jesus is speaking about when he says, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Imagine yourself traveling at night in that culture, and before you see the city, what do you see? The glow. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. It shines its light out to the world. That's Jerusalem, the city on the holy mountain. God speaks about his desire to see all the nations come to his holy city. You know what that's really talking about? That's talking about you and me. We are the city of God. The church is the city of God. And when God says all nations will come to my great city, to that hill, he's talking about us and folding people into his kingdom. So both symbolically... And quite literally, when it comes to Worcester, the journey is God's city on a hill. Here we are on Green Hill. Think of that. Think of us as the city of God that he envisions the nations of the world being drawn to. Not us alone, but everywhere where God's people are. It's an entry point into that great city. And we are to draw people. You know, sometimes churches get confused, and they think Sunday mornings is what we do for ourselves. And then our, quote, outreach stuff is what we do for the world. And when we get into that mindset, sometimes we get really thrown by the fact that so much investment has to go into what we do on Sunday morning. Frankly, our biggest investment, besides salaries, is the rental for this facility. And if we had a property, our largest investment would be the property. Some people have a real problem with that because they feel like, well, you're wasting all that money on yourselves and not reaching out. That's not it at all. There is both a gathered and a scattered aspect to this idea of being the light of the world. Jesus speaks of both. There is the city to which all men are drawn, and then there is the home that the lampstand gives light to everyone in the house. So this idea of being the light of the world is both what we do here. This is a place where we want to see many people drawn because of the light of Christ that emanates from our gatherings, but also our home connected with people around us. See, we are the light of the world, and we are to attract people. And what we're to attract them to is to Christ himself. At the men's breakfast yesterday, we were looking at uh, Philippians 4, 8. Whatsoever things are pure, lovely, honorable, let your mind dwell on these things. And Chris pointed out the Westboro Baptist Church, not our local Westboro, but Westboro out in what's the state? Kansas. Kansas. They're making news again. And, and Chris pointed out just how clearly those people have missed having the mind of Christ, which is exemplified by the things in Philippians 4.8. Whatsoever is noble, honorable, if there's anything of excellence, praiseworthy, let your mind dwell on these things. It is that that we are to have. People should be attracted to what they see in us. That doesn't mean that people will not reject the cross. The cross is a stumbling block for people. But what we want to make sure is that it's the cross that people stumble over, not you and me. 
we can justify how we are alienating ourselves from the world because the Bible says the world will hate you. Well, Jesus said the world will hate you because they hated me. Shouldn't just hate you for your sake. As best as we can, Jesus says, let your light so shine before men that they see your good deeds. Praise your Father in heaven. Our job is not to create enemies for the cross. Our job is to attract people to it and let them stand at the foot of the cross and choose life or choose that it's an offense. But that's the offense that Jesus is speaking about. We are not to be offensive. Too many Christians are. There's this great book that all of us should read, When Bad Christians Happen to Good People. It's a great book. You have to ask yourself some of those idle comments that we make when we're shopping or when we're in public where we like threaten lawsuits or, you know, or, or just get ugly about our rights as a customer. You just have to ask yourself, how much is that worth it when you are to be the light of Christ? People are to be attracted to him based on what comes out of your mouth. We're the salt of the earth. We're the light of the world. How does the light work? Salt works when we make contact. The light works when we simply let it shine. He speaks of our tendency to not let that light shine. Why in the world would anybody put a bowl over a light? Isn't that a silly thing? Let me ask you a question. Why in ancient times would people cover over a lamp? Snuff it out. Right, to hide it. Trying to be private and trying to keep the light to ourselves. The whole idea is that the light is meant to be shown, not protected. Try to protect the light, we kill the light. How many remember the old song? This little light of mine, hide it under a bushel now. When I was a kid and I was singing that, we were in farm country in New Jersey. Hide it under a bushel. No! I think we finally found your style of music. Nah, I think we found it. Yeah, when I was a kid, when we used to sing that song, we were actually in the farm country in New Jersey. New Jersey does have farmland. It is the Garden State. Just have to go west. And my mom, who had grown up in Jersey City, loved her garden. We would go out and work it, and we got a, a good bushel full of, of some of those vegetables and tomatoes. And, of course, when I think of uh, hiding under a bushel, no, I think of that bushel basket. Now, the actual word is bowl. But I want to stay with that basket metaphor because what happens is if you try to hide and protect the light, it's no good for you and it's no good for the world around you. And what you become is a basket case. Thank you. That's, <laughs> that's all I want. I just wanted to use that enough to get that line out. Yeah, and we're not to be that. We're not to be neurotic people protecting ourselves. We are to let our light shine. It's the only way it works. What does he say? Let your light shine before men, before all men. And what will be the result? They will see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. We must let it shine. All right, so this is the idea of who we are to be. We are to be people who are experiencing, as God promised, good in our lives out of all circumstances, even persecution. In all of these situations and circumstances, if we are God's children, he is at work for good, and therefore blessing is to be found in all those circumstances. And it's in that ebb and flow of life that all of us are to be salt, interacting, making contact, being a change agent for the gospel in the world around us. And we are to be light, attracting, revealing, and helping guide people to the truth.
I think the secret of it is not in learning the message, even though I think all of us should learn to share the truth about Jesus. I think the secret that's being shared here is living the message first. And I think he wraps it up when he says that, let your light shine before men. How? That they may see your good deeds. It's in the living. See, every one of us can do that. Every one of us can do that. It's enfolding people into our lives where God is at work every single day and they can see him and be drawn to him. What would happen if we committed ourselves to being salt and light? If instead of being intimidated at the thought, we just simply offered who we are and what we have and say, God, use them in the lives of people around me. That is the, I don't even want to call it an experiment, but in some sense it's an experiment. It's a, it's a testing of God by us coming together and saying for the next six weeks, that's what we're going to commit to. Here, here's my challenge to you. Would you commit with me? This simple thing, every single day for the next six weeks, just this prayer. Lord, show me how I can be your salt and light today. Lord, show me how I can be your salt and light today. Would you be willing just to simply do that? See, I I don't think that's a really complicated thing. It's just a prayer of intent. It's an opening up of ourselves for God to use. And I believe that God, think about it. God spoke through a jackass in the Old Testament. A real one. I'm not talking about a person. God spoke through Balaam's jackass. Can he use any of us? He <laughs> Sure can. We're going to pray together. I'm going to ask you to stand up. This is north. All right? This, this is north right there. So based on that, I want you to turn towards the town in which you live. We got Shrewsbury. We got Northboro, Marlboro. Are you facing your town? Anybody, you got your town? Westboro's east, so that would be that way. How many of you would have to admit that this is revealing your horrible sense of direction? (laughs) Are you facing your hometown? All right, now I want you to close your eyes. I'd just like you to picture that neighborhood in which you live and that town. I'd like you to think about your neighbors your friends, the people in your neighborhood that you least like, like you think about family members that may share your house, your workplace. I want you to hear the words of Jesus. You, you are the plan. (laughs) You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And would you just in your heart say to him, Lord, help me be salt and light in that neighborhood. Use me to be your salt and light, to bring others to you. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know how it works. I'm just willing to be the one. Use me in that neighborhood, in that place, Lord. Amen.